I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, home of the modern whitetail hunter. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your guest host, Tony Peterson, and today I'm speaking with public land guru, K.C. Smith. All right, folks, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. You might notice that this is not the voice of Mark Kenyon. He sent me a text last week and said that he picked up a new hobby called duck herding. When I asked him what that was, he said, it's all in the name and that he had to go pick up his new flock. So I don't, I don't, I don't know anymore, guys. Anyway, today I'm speaking with Casey Smith from The Element. Casey is from Texas, but every year he heads out with his partner in crime, Tyler Jones, to hunt a bunch of different states, all on public land. Both guys have been on an absolute tear in recent seasons, which is really cool to see. Throughout this show, Casey and I talk about why he chooses to research certain states, what he really factors in before deciding to buy a non-resident whitetail tag in one state but not another. This episode is Full of good advice if you're interested in taking your hunting on the road and is really kind of like a part one next week i'm sitting down with andy may to dive deeper into this hunt planning topic so we really kind of have a back-to-back breakdown of this issue for two weeks in a row really cool episodes casey how you doing brother i'm good man just uh had a long night with the toddler and ready to rock and roll you know how this goes you know like it doesn't matter how much you sleep you know that's whatever it's actually kind of uh keeps you in the uh, hunting season mindset all the time even when you're not on a trip you know (laughs) wait wait, wait, (laughs) how does it do that (laughs) well just lack of sleep and pure exhaustion all the time you know instead of uh being cyclical where you get to come home and rest you might as well just spend all fall super tired how how uh holds the little guy now (laughs) Uh, don't ask me months. He's pushing on two. He turns two in March. So yeah, um, uh, he's, uh, he's getting on up there where we've reached that new stage where he whines a lot more than he used to. Cause he understands like his way, you know? So, yep. uh, but that's the human condition. We all want it our way. Yeah, definitely, man. <laughs> how, how has that changed 
you know, how has having a little one changed your travel schedule or how you think about being on the road? Cause you, you and Tyler travel a lot for, for the element. And mm-hmm. I know what it's like to go hunt four five, six States a year and have little kids at home. It, it, it makes things different, man. Oh, absolutely, man. It's, it's, uh, you know, honestly, the change is emotional more than anything. Uh, I have a really understanding wife. Of course, we talk things out, you know, and uh, she has a, a good job. So I'm able to go and be a, a bum, you know, and I I definitely, you know, make my contributions income wise as well. But um, and a great family dynamic where I always have plenty of people to be babysitters and to hang out with him and stuff. But honestly, the missing the kid is the hardest part for me. It's it really is. And it's it's so strange because. Uh, my wife isn't going to listen to this, so I can say whatever I want, right? But like, um, I miss her, but in such a different way. Like, we we spend a lot of time in our life uh, in a long distance relationship, so I can love her from afar and be just fine. But it's like, you know how fast they grow. It's like if you're gone for five days, you come back and it's slightly a different child. Yep. You know, and you're like, man, all this stuff I miss. So I think that's the thing that's the, the toughest part for me. Like, I just don't want to string together a bunch of like the month of November, I want to be gone a, a week or nine days and come home for, you know, at least three or four days instead of just being a full on just travel guy. And it's, that's not realistic for anybody, right? Yeah. You know, like just being gone for a month. It's just, just tough, man. So yeah. that's, that's what's changed for me. I had a, I had a conversation with Tom Miranda about this way back when my girls were born. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just kind of, I kind of said the same thing. Like, man, I feel guilty traveling to do this and you know he was like man i've had so many people say stuff like that to me over the years you know and and nobody's traveled to hunt more than that guy i mean he's he's been all over the world for 35 years you know and he said he kind of framed it he said you know if you were a businessman and you were traveling to for meetings or whatever nobody would bat an eye they would they would just Mm -hmm. be like that's an acceptable thing to do for your career but mm-hmm. when people look at it and like, oh, you're just off hunting, <laughs> they don't, yeah. they're like, you're just being selfish. And, you know, it f- sort of feels that way when you, when your kids are little, cause you know, y- you do enjoy parts of it. It's not like you're just flying out doing a bunch of meetings and trying to sell, you know, vacuums or whatever yeah. the hell you could be doing, but yeah. it does, it changes the, the game a lot. And I, I know for me with, you know, when we had the girls, I was in heavy travel stage. Like that was when mm-hmm. I was really trying to string together, you know two or three good bucks on public land every year and and really make it happen. And it was a weird motivator for me. Like get this done. Like don't waste your time. Like this is not lay around in your tent in the middle of the day, like make it happen and go home. And I remember uh, just this, this one time I was in South Dakota, probably in, I think it was like 2015 and I was struggling and it was Halloween and I had this plan. I was like, I'm going to go sit this pond. It was pretty warm. I'm like, I, I just want to get this done and get home. Cause I'm doing the math. I'm like, if I shoot a buck this morning and get him out, I can make it home in time to take the girls trick or treating. And I just happened to, you know, nine, 10 in the morning, had two bucks come in chasing a doe and I thumped one, packed him out, made the drive home. And as I pulled into the driveway, <clears throat> I could hear my girls knocking on the neighbor's door. And it made me so happy because I'm like, I got it done. Like I killed the buck. I drove the six and a half hours home and now I get to go walk around with them. And it's just a, it's weird, weird. It's weird how it changes your perspective on this travel game. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's, it's, um, it, so just last week I was in Oklahoma and, uh, I honestly caught myself making some 
like quick decisions that I wouldn't make otherwise trying to kill a deer. And I, I'm, I, I kind of have this, um, way of approaching whitetail hunting where I try to be, uh, knowledgeably aggressive is what I say. Uh, Tyler and I talk about it a lot where you make the most aggressive move you can get away with and it still be a smart move. And I breached that, uh, ceiling a couple times where I did things that were kind of dumb, but I, it was kind of like a hail Mary type thing. Like this might work, you know? And, and retrospectively, <clears throat> if I'd have played it safer, uh, might've actually came out with a better outcome where I did kill a deer sooner, as opposed to trying to make it happen in the next two minutes. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, yeah. A lot of this stuff, I think, I think when you talk to people who really, really get it done in a bunch of different States and, you know, have a pretty good mm -hmm. track record of, you know, filled tags in, in wildly different environments, you just, you get this sense of sort of this equilibrium between that super cavalier, you know, go get it done versus, okay, I got to let this breathe and let this situation bring the deer to me. And you just mm -hmm. kind of get this feel of like that, th that gut instinct, like, okay, sometimes, sometimes it is that you look at it and go, look, I know I could blow this deer out, but I could also crawl up to the edge of this draw and shoot him, you know, instead <laughs> yeah. of being paralyzed, you know, or. I could go move right in there, but I got faith in this little pinch point. And so I'm going to, I'm going to let them play around over there for a little bit. Cause somebody's going to make it my way. And you know, that comes mm -hmm. from a lot of experience traveling, but it, you hear that kind of vibe come from a lot of people who, they, at least a lot of people who I really respect as whitetail hunters. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird deal. And you have to kind of judge the environment too, you know, especially you start looking at like that. I'm thinking of specific deer. We were crawling around in some pretty monotonous habitat. I just, kind of that i don't know river bottom-esque type stuff where it's just a bunch of elms and hackberries and cedars you know just and, and so there's not a great pinch point there's not a great um, food source either and so you put eyes on a deer you glass a deer up at 110 yards and you're like oh also the wind's blowing like 35 is the day that front rolled in and you've probably seen this, but a lot of times when those super windy days, those deer will be on their feet, but they'll just stay in stationary for an hour or two, you know? And that was kind of my thought in that specific scenario. I was like, okay, there's no way for me to really set up on this deer and um, feel good about him walking by. So I might as well go for it. And got to 40 yards, just didn't have the shot. And then he ended up, uh, <laughs> you know, doing stuff with the cameras a lot different than not you know and i had a camera guy with me eric is great you know he's filmed us do a ton of stuff this year and he's awesome at it but just in general uh two big fat humans walking is a lot louder than one so you know who knows what happened but you know blew him out and uh, but at the same time learn some stuff from it you know and i think that that's anytime you mess up and don't learn it sounds so cliche and i hate the talking cliches man i really do but if you mess up you gotta learn because if you mess up and don't learn, it's complete waste, you know? And uh, from that, went in the next morning and uh, had an opportunity on two more bucks because we learned some stuff there. So, Well, it, your point about, you know, high winds, frontal conditions, and watching those deer, I think one of the reasons that it's so fun to go hunt, you know, maybe Kansas or, you know, some parts of Nebraska, the Dakotas, is because mm -hmm. you get to watch actual deer behavior, like mature buck behavior sometimes in those mm -hmm. conditions. And if you pick <clears throat> most of the whitetails range, you don't watch that stuff. I mean, yeah. I, when you think, 
when when you think about all the people, I, I shouldn't say all the people. You, you think about the Dan Infault type of guys who are talking buck betting a ton. Like, mm-hmm. They're they're piecing together deer behavior by looking at sign and then you know hunting and seeing what happens. But a lot of it is like I got to fill in the blanks because you don't watch those deer bed in the swamps a lot of time, right? Like you, mm-hmm. when you're in timber, but when you get out to some of those plain states, you can actually see. You can you can sit there and get the spotter on them or your binos on them and go, I know what that buck does in these conditions, or at least I know what he did. That stuff's so valuable. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. We actually just recorded a, a podcast uh, yesterday talking about this stuff. We kind of did like the, uh, you know, what we learned through hunting the rut this year and that sort of thing. And um, we were in Kansas. I was in Kansas nine days. Tyler's in Kansas 11 days sequentially. Right. So we got to see, from November 1st to November 11th, how things ramped up and got to observe bucks interacting with those at long and short range. So it's exactly what you're saying where, man, I've gotten to the point where, uh, I really enjoy hunting the more open stuff because of that, because you, you just get to observe deer and don't get me wrong. Uh, next year I plan on being in Iowa about November 5th, you know, but <laughs> I'm going to hunt it hard, but, uh, it's just so much, I don't just, I hate to say an easy word, but better to be able to look at them and see them. You know, I watched, I stalked a buck for, um, I don't know, four or five days, uh, before I shot my deer that, uh, was on public, you know, pushing those real high numbers. I'm not going to throw too much out there, uh, but he was big, the biggest deer I've ever been on. And I was on him hard, had him at 20 yards one day. And uh, I got to see him go from, hey, I don't like your decoy. I'm leaving my does here to, I'm going to try to kill this other buck that's within 100 yards of my does, my does you know. And it's, it's neat to see it ramp up that way and see their changes and, one of the things I realized is that this uh, rut activity window that we all like to hunt, you know, with the bucks or, you know, you can snort weeds them in from a hundred or whatever. That's a lot smaller, at least in my observations. You know, I, I'm, I'm mid thirties, right? So I haven't hunted a whole lifetime, but I've hunted a lot. And uh, the time period that you have on a specific deer that he's just going insane and ready to just whoop the world is pretty, pretty small. You know, and and that's something I really realized. And so it kind of changed my perspective on how I hunt deer in the rut, um, at least for the moment, because I, uh, I really like that aggressive stuff. I like calling, rattling, doing all that stuff. You know, I'm Texan, you know, like (laughs) it's just kind of, it's kind of a way we are, you know, uh, but, uh, the, the concept of, of those deer, like that buck was the master of the plains. Okay. Like he was the guy had a harem of six to nine does every day. And on November 2nd, uh, we showed him a two dimensional decoy at 80 yards and he decided that he wanted to leave as opposed to fight and just leave those does with us. And you think about that and you're like, man, I would have thought that that guy was just, you know, he was just a brawler, you know, just cause he's so big and old and wasn't the case. Yeah. Um, man, so, man it's kind of, I think, I, I totally agree with you that there's those, there, the windows are a lot tighter than we think. And I also, mm-hmm. th- but I also think there's more of them than we think. And a lot of them happen mm-hmm. in October. And mm-hmm. I know, I mean, I've snort wheezed in bucks and killed them in October when you shouldn't, you're not supposed to be able to not only bucks <laughs> that shouldn't probably be responding to that because they're not the king. Right. 
and also a time yeah. period. But you know how it is when you see, I don't know, you, you watch these deer and you can see their body language and go, this is probably going to work or not. And, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. when you're sitting there and they're just, they're going point A to B, they're not, they're not messing around. You know, they've got a destination in mind that, that deer, a lot of times is like uncallable, you know, you'll get his mm -hmm. attention, but getting him fired up and turned around different story. But if you get that buck, that's kind of meandering and he's, you know, nipping some buds here and there, and he's kind of looking mm -hmm. around and he's just like, he's waiting for some action. Like he's, mm -hmm. he, they just look like there's something going on and it's, it's pretty subtle a lot of times. But man, th there's a big difference on calling to those two kinds of deer. Oh, absolutely, man. You, you've you seen this. And it's like we're in a plain state. I see a deer at 100 yards. It's November 2nd or whatever. And you're like hitting him with a grunt. And he's acting like he doesn't even hear it. And, you know, the wind's 8 to 12. You know, it's like I know he can hear this thing. And he just doesn't care because he is focused on whatever he's got going on. And I think that um, – I used to think this was kind of, uh, I don't, I, I don't want to be rude, right? But I used to not really believe that much in the whole, uh, juries and their 13 phases or whatever. And I don't know, uh, for sure how that all plays out biologically, but I am truly convinced that, um, it's not as much by calendar, but it's per animal that there is much more than pre-rut, rut, and post-rut. There's so much more than that going on. And I think that I wouldn't, have those revelations if it wasn't for hunting in places where you can't observe deer. Yep. Yeah. And he, I mean, you can get a little bit of a glimpse on trail cameras, but it's like not even, <laughs> Oh man, not even close. Yes. Like, oh, you know, we've, we run trail cameras quite a bit, especially for guys who end up not hunting anywhere near our trail cameras a lot, you know, because we like, you know, like to have that observation. And I have a little property here in East Texas that I've run a camera on a lot, um, over food and, um, I was thinking that I was just having a terrible year because we, we've been on the road quite a bit, you know, and not seeing hardly anything on camera. I got quite a few pigs, you know, and just dealing with that. And then, um, I decide <clears throat> after we get back from Kansas one day, I'm like, ah, I'm going to go hunt it. You know, why not? I can hunt before my wife leaves for work and, uh, see like two mature bugs, but they just weren't on camera and then proceed to have the best five to six days worth of hunting I've had in East Texas in a long time because I didn't pay just attention to the camera, but the cameras were showing does, right? And you know, like if you got does, you're going to have a buck sooner or later. And, and that's, that's what I saw, you know, past some, some pretty good deer uh, here in East Texas, which is something I've never really got to do. <laughs> uh, let's talk, you, you mentioned a little bit ago that you're going to draw Iowa next year. Uh, yeah. Or, you know, this season, I should say, um, What's, what's the planning process? Cause I know Tyler was texting me. Does he have the same points as you? No, we're kind of on opposite points schedule. So he drew in 19. Um, and we're going to, we always kind of swing for the fences for Iowa want to hunt, you know, the, uh, which I don't know if there's a bad unit, but we try to hunt the, the really good stuff, um, that we, we know a little bit better and it's a little bit more obtainable. Um, but anyways, we're, we're on opposite schedule. So he hunted in 19, I'll hunt in 22, and then he'll probably yeah. hunt 23 or 24 or something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Depending on where the points, you know, depending on what it takes to draw. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. 
picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options, like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick, sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at urgentcarekit.com slash eater and use promo code MEATEATER. That's promo code MEATEATER at urgentcarekit.com slash eater. Hey, everybody knows Weber Grills. I've been using Weber Grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear what I like to do on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, which gives you great smoke at 180 degrees, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full, great sear zone, so you can put more food on the flame. This, this, this is my way of bull saying. If I was going to cook roast one way, that's how I like to do it, sear roast. Utilize the smoke boost setting to intensify that smoky flavor. Direct flame cooking creates searing, crisping, and browning. Food's going to look as good as it tastes. This grill gets hot in 15 minutes. Cleanup is easy. Cook confidently with intuitive digital controls at the grill and enjoy the sleek, easy-to-use surface. You can also add a heavy-duty rotisserie or rust-resistant griddle insert to up your game. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. So you you guys live in Texas. You hunt public land all over, uh, you know, kind of the, the western fringe of where a lot of people go, but you also get into the Midwest, obviously. What's mm-hmm. the planning process for you? Like, how, how do you sit there this time of year in the winter and go, okay, I want to hit, you know, if you know, you're going to draw Iowa, that's going to take precedence. Right. But you're going to, you're not only going to Iowa. So how do you figure (laughs) out like, man, this is a state I really want to try. This is an area of a state. I really want to try. How do you, how do you go about that? Uh, so I don't think about trophy potential too much except for top tier stuff. Right. So Iowa, of course, is awesome. Uh, and that's where world-class bucks are. But I don't really think about going to Iowa and killing a 200. If one walks by, that'd be great. But realistically, uh, I want to go up there and have a good hunt and kill, you know, a really respectable deer on public. That's what I'm going to do. And not because I solely because I think public land is cool, but I also just don't, not the guy with the finances to pay for an outfitted hunt. If I, if I had that, I might do that because I'd really like to kill a really big deer sometime too, you know, but uh, I like to be realistic with my expectations probably is the first thing, right? And, and and think about what can you actually get out of a hunt and how can you be the most efficient? Um, uh, I guess, um, you know, on a more broader spec- 
spectrum, I think about uh, population densities and how that plays into uh, the amount of public land. You know, you have states that have pretty low population densities, but if they have a decent amount of public access, you can end up finding pockets of deer that you feel like you're, you know, I don't know, in, you know, central Illinois on a, a greenfield, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, uh, population densities are a little weird sometimes because they, they don't account for the, um, micro habitat pockets. You know what I mean? So <clears throat> that's stuff I look for. And of course, all this relates back to map scouting. And I'm trying to be more bullet pointed, but that's not how my, my brain works. I hop around a hundred million places. <laughs> so, you know, so, sorry, but that, you know, I think about how population densities relate to, uh, what the habitat looks like on a map. And if I look at a state and I see, like, say, for instance, um, I want to hunt Illinois next year. You look at Northern Illinois, um, pretty good population density, but there's a ton of agriculture and there's not a lot of, not a lot of timber up there. And you think about, okay, if I go up there after the crops are out, like there's going to be a lot of deer in these little pockets. And that's even, that's kind of exponential because it's kind of the best of both worlds. So I think about that stuff a lot. Don't pay too much of attention to pro tough trophy potential. We all pretty much know that, uh, you know, Pope and young top deer can be killed about near anywhere. Um, so, uh, think about that. Think about the, uh, availability of tags. I like to hunt over the counter States really do because, uh, you just know you can go, you know, and, and I don't, I would rather spend my time scouting, map scouting, boot scouting, whatever you want to call it for on over the counter States and figuring something good out than spending a ton of time thinking about points and how to draw and all this stuff. It's just, I don't really crave that too much. Yeah. I, I'm kind of the same way. I, I do play the points game in, you know, in Iowa and I play it out West in mm -hmm. a few States <clears throat> just cause, just cause I know I'm going to have, you know, maybe one or two really cool elk hunts in my life or, you know, a mm -hmm. mule deer hunt or something. So I, 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 but I'm the same way. I love a state that will just sell me a tag because I know I can do a bunch of research and I can go there this year. Yes, exactly. And that, that's the thing, man. I don't, <laughs> I live my life a little bit scatterbrained. And I am not uh, the most organized person either. So points don't go well with that. You know, it's like, wait, did I buy my point this year? I don't remember. Some states, if you miss two years, they penalize you. You lose them. Like th that make you want to cry. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, like, it's just, it doesn't play well for me. I'd much rather just concentrate on the season at hand, pretty much. Kind of like what you're saying, you know, it, it feels good to know. And the other thing is, too, like, um, some of these places have public access that's rotating. It might be in this year and out next year and, and yada, yada crops change, and, you know, this and that it's the, the, the MRI stuff. Most recent information is what you got to work with. And, um, I like being, and I do like to go say, I know I'm going to draw this state or I know I'm going to go hunt this state this year. Let's go spend some time in the summer or, uh, you know, in the early spring, and put some boots on the ground there and then hunt it this fall. I, I think that that same year scouting is super valuable. Yep. Oh, me too. <clears throat> you said something about Iowa that I think we should dive into a little bit. Cause when you talk about habitat and population densities, this is something, something that drives me absolutely nuts. I hear people like I see it on hunting forums and mm -hmm. you know, somebody will be like, Hey, I'm thinking about going to Nebraska this year. Anybody have a, just, just general recommendations. I don't want your spots, you know? <clears throat> it's kind of like a it's like a cliche at this point but 
the responses will always be Nebraska's only 2% public. There's no public left to get shot out or, you know, name a state. Right. And I'm mm-hmm. always like, listen, we're talking about whitetails here. And so when you think like take Iowa, for example, when you take Iowa and you go, okay, I was, I don't know what percentage of public land Iowa is. It's not super high, but mm-hmm. the public land that is in Iowa probably isn't tillable. Mm-hmm. So it's probably really good cover for Iowa. And yeah. so even if only 2% of the land mass of Iowa is public, it could mm-hmm. be the best ground around. It could be the best timber. It could be the best river bottoms. Mm-hmm. And there's like a pretty high likelihood it's going to tilt that way. And so mm-hmm. when you look at this stuff, you go, okay, well, maybe this state isn't, uh, you know, like a typical Western state where half of it's public and I can go anywhere and there's BLM and national forest <laughs> and all this stuff. But some of these whitetail states that don't advertise like a ton of public land, the public land is really good for whitetails or, you know, theoretically it should be because it's going to be the best cover. And I, I think people kind of get hung up on that and they think, well, you know, if there's only only a little bit of public land here or, you know, patchwork there, it's probably not worth going. And it's like, man, I don't know. You got to think about what's the core area of a whitetail. And, you know, when you look at Iowa, it's like, not only do you have pretty, pretty dense population in some of those places, you know, you're not going to be dealing with winter kill almost, almost a guarantee. Yeah. They're dealing mm-hmm. with some coyotes and maybe some bobcats in some parts of the state, but mm-hmm. you know, low hunter population compared to other states. So you start factoring all this stuff in and going like, man, even though I might only have a smaller amount of public land to work with, there should be a really good population of deer there. And I know you guys have seen this traveling. Like I see that in places where I'm like, people will complain and be like, Oh, that, you know, the deer hunting sucks here. And I go there and I'm like, there's freaking deer everywhere. Like this is am- <laughs> like Oklahoma that you were just in. Every time I go to Oklahoma, I'm like, this place is just fun. <laughs> like, Cause I know I'm around a ton of deer, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. You can see it whenever you just drive around. I was driving around a place the other day in Oklahoma scouting, and uh, it was kind of neat because I was using uh, this layer on X where you can see crop data and stuff like that, you know, and um, there was like a bunch of wheat there last year, but this year there's only one 80-acre pocket that they kind of no-tilled in, but it's not doing great, but it looks like I mean, tunnels through the fence, you know, where, because I get, I would assume that in that situation, it's a big Creek bottom, right. With, with a decent amount of cover around. Um, but deer have been depending on, you know, three or 400 acres of wheat there for a couple of years, at least. And there's been a decent population buildup. Well, now they just all concentrated on this one tiny field. Cause it's the only thing that got planted with wheat. And uh, man, <laughs> there's a lot of deer around, just like you're saying, you know, and things like that that's where like being on the ground is just kind of invaluable, you know, because it can't map scout that you can't figure that out from just looking at the map. But, but yeah, man, I think that people super underrate the amount of public land that there is. I'm from Texas. Right. And that's also kind of cliche. Everybody knows Texas doesn't have much public land, but there's some, we hunt it, you know, um, and it's not bad hunting. Uh, the thing you're going to deal with in these States that have low amounts of public land, if they are over the counter, low relative, right, um, is uh, lack of age class, usually, because deer get shot. And, you know, if you're willing to accept that and be happy to go shoot a three-year-old somewhere, yeah, you know, it's it's cool. And, you know, I was different because it's pretty tough to draw and fairly expensive to, to get into, so you get kind of the best of both worlds. But um, 
the, the people who say like, oh, there's not much public land. I feel like that's a very Western perspective. You know, like if you're from the East and, uh, you know, put that in air quotes, right? Pretty much anything East of the Rockies, um, or I guess East of the Plain States, you're kind of used to that, you know, like, shoot, man, you start thinking about it. Texas is, uh, 2.6% huntable public land. And of that, you can hunt deer like 1.4 or less. So it's just, you know, the percentage just sounds just, you know, abysmally sound terrible, but, um, you start looking at a state that's, you know, the size of Poland, and then you realize, oh, that's still a decent amount of acreage, you know? So there's some, there's some ground to hunt, you know? And like you're saying, uh, we don't have as good of crops, but, you know, a lot of the flat grounds and cattle production are hay production. So um, all the stuff that ended up in core engineers or whatever is all kind of bottom lands and voila, you know, you got deer habitat. Yeah. Well, a couple things there. So, when you talk about, you know, maybe not the best age class on public land, like that's a, that's a very common complaint, but mm-hmm. it's also the reality that most of us, if we're traveling out of state and we want to go have a good hunt, you throw a dart on the map, man. If it lands near some woods or some cover, there's a buck that probably uses that, that all of us would be happy with. Absolutely. And so <clears throat> a lot of people plan their hunts around, uh, you know, I really want a 140 or a 150 plus or something. And that's kind of a scary thing to focus on instead mm-hmm. you should be looking at just like where can i go to have have a badass hunt and i really would caution people there's there's such a we're in a weird place with public land right right now because it's it's freaking busy and mm-hmm. it's busy across the spectrum right like doesn't matter what you're hunting but mm-hmm. there's still great opportunities out there but there's also a lot of loud voices that are bitching about it about mm-hmm. all of this pressure and if you, if you're interested in traveling out of state, you might, you might visit a bunch of different sites that are dedicated to traveling to hunt or, you know, these forums or whatever. And you, you're going to hear a ton of negative stuff and like, but I, I almost think you should not use any of that stuff. And I, I know it's like, it's a dangerous blanket statement, but you don't know who you're getting advice from. Like you don't know what their motivations are. You have no idea if they know how to hunt. And so you might have somebody telling you not to come there because all the deer died to EHD or the rifle hunters shoot them all. This person might not have killed a buck in the last 20 years. They might just be a keyboard mm-hmm. warrior, right? Yeah. And so I think really, and I'm curious if you guys do this, but when, when you go hunt a bunch of different states on public land and you're camping and you're doing your thing, you just realize how much BS is out there and how, how, what we think and we say we know and what we believe when you go out there, you just realize like, nope, it's totally different. There's, there's quality to be had. There's action packed hunts to be had. There's just fun, enjoyable hunting. And it's not easy. Like it's not going to be easy, but it's always worth it. And so you kind of got to close those browser windows, stop listening to those people and just go, I would love to hunt Missouri or I would love to hunt whatever. I'm just going to do it. And start really doing that, that map scouting that you're talking about and the research for yourself and just go, just acknowledge that there's going to be enough deer there for you. And there's going to be deer that are going to make you happy right off the bat. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you need to uh, model yourself as the type of person who can be happy because if you just have a mentality where you're just not very happy, you're not going to be happy with the hunt. You you get what I'm saying? Like it takes us to be a traveling public land hunter you have to 
you have to be able to appreciate what you're doing, appreciate the landscape you're in and appreciate the animals and, and like it, you know, not to be too hippie. Right. But I, I can't, I am a little bit of a hippie. So like you, you need to know like how to be happy. You, you need to figure that out. And then you can be happy with the type of deer that you shoot. Right. And I think for sure we run into that a ton. And then I used to just, just be all over the hunting forums and stuff, you know, just listening, trying to pick up on little things and taking notes and all that. And now I just realized that, man, it's an inverse bell curve, um, you know, and there's going to be a whole bunch of people on each side. There's going to be guys that are, that you, and this, these guys, usually are the people you talk to in a camp or something like that. Oh yeah, man, there's been three one seventies killed here, you know, like those guys. And, and, uh, there's the other guys like, oh man, it's terrible. There's hunters everywhere, and and uh, you know, EHD is just it's it's been killing us. And it's like, you know what? If you just go show up at, you know, said state on a piece of public ground, spend three days, you'll figure something out and probably find some deer. You know, yep. it might not be one seventy, but you'll see something, which is kind of right in the middle of all that. Yeah, and it what what's cool about it is at least with whitetails now, and this is this is why. I, I know people get mad when you encourage people to go hunt public land, but really we've just got good opportunities right now. And I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not confident they're going to be here in the future as far as like over the counter tags and places you can just mm. you know, buy your tag online and go show up and hunt and have a great hunt. And so I'm like, take advantage of that now. Cause we don't know where that's going, but you know, there's, there's also the reality of, of doing this where it's like, and you kind of alluded to this. You know, if you, if you hunt at home and you got your lease or your grandma's farm or whatever, and you're, you know, go to the same tree stands over and over and you're like, man, I'd like to go saddle up and be mobile, like find a state, find a, find a situation that's going to allow you to do that. Or like you mentioned earlier, if, if the, if you're kind of squirrely and you got a bunch of ADHD going on in your brain and you want to go try to find deer and stalk them, there's states that are going to sell you a tag where you can do that. Like there's, there's opportunities to expand your worldview of whitetails. That's what's so cool about it. Like, it's not just go, you know, like the Iowa thing is a perfect example. Everybody says, I want to go to Iowa because I want to kill a big one, man. I I drew Iowa last year and I had more fun hunting there than anywhere. Cause I saw so many deer. Like mm-hmm. I knew I was going to go in and I could get, I could get a layer back from the, the other guys who were hunting this public that I was on. And I was, I wasn't going to blank. And you know how it is. Like when you hunt a state like that, you see enough deer. One of them is going to be freaking awesome. Or a couple yeah. of them are, and it's just, <laughs> it's so fun to hunt that way and have that. And you, and I've seen that in States, you know, it's not just Iowa, right? Like you, some of these States where people just really don't know how good they have it. You can go and have, see a ton of deer and have an awesome hunt and it's yeah. freaking over the counter, man. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that when you start planning and think about your hunts, you look, look at these States that everyone knows is amazing and, uh, hunt the fringes of those, man. You know, if, if you want to go hunt, have a good hunt, you can do it anywhere. But if you're trying to find a place to start and you don't really know how to do that, like you zone in on whatever state, I hate to put a spotlight, but you know, you find one of those states that everybody knows great state to hunt. Oh yeah, man. It's awesome. Well, you know what? There's, there's state boundaries right there pretty close to that, that you can probably have a pretty good hunt on too. You know, it's not, it's not super hard to figure out. And, you know, I've, I've done some of that and guess what? The quality of bucks on that side of that imaginary line are about the same as over here. Uh, you know, there might be a little bit increased hunting pressure depending on what's going on or whatever, but, um, it's, well, there are so many arbitrary imaginary lines that we place on ourselves that animals don't give a hoot about. 
Um, you, you can take this back to, uh, to, we've been talking a lot about this, like roads, man. And I know we're talking on a big scale, but, um, dude, deer don't give a hoot about roads, not even major interstates, man. I mean, yeah, of course they, they're going to consider it when they cross one. Cause there's a bunch of cars and stuff, but, um, we were hunting somewhere this year and there were deer crossing the interstate every day, just not like, Hey, it's the rut. I'm going to do something weird. It's like how they lived, you know, and yep. you take that and then you apply it to white rock that you find in Iowa, Missouri or whatever. Like they don't care at all. You know, it does not matter <laughs> one bit. And we think about like, Oh, I don't know if I want to hunt next to that road, you know, whatever. Tyler, uh, Tyler, what am I saying? Tyler killed in Iowa. That's how fast I talk sometimes, man. I just come <laughs> from sentences into one word. <laughs> Tyler killed in Iowa on a place that we mascotted that was 80 yards from a road, you know, on, on public ground. And, it's just like, yeah, I probably wouldn't hunt right next to the parking area because that's kind of a, uh, a forum thing to do. You know, like, oh, you know, I killed it right there. But deer don't care about this stuff that we make up. You know, they just don't. They don't care. And it goes back to the rut schedule, all that stuff. We saw deer in Kansas also locked down on does, um, you know, on November 5th. You know, and it's not – there's not a specific – there might be uh, in other states. And I'm – not gonna uh down anybody who has a ton more knowledge than me like say bill winky for instance i love bill winky bill winky's so smart and he's such a good deer hunter such a nice guy um he believes in specific lockdown dates right and it very well could be that on the places he's hunted in iowa i haven't hunted those places but i don't see that you know hardly at all i think that at any point in time in the month of november you can have a buck who's wanting to hang out with his buddies. You can have a buck that's running around being crazy, zombie mode, chasing does. And you can have a buck that's hanging out with this girl. He's going to make sure he is within five feet of her all day long, you know? And that's just, that's what I've seen. So yeah. that's completely the other direction of what we were just talking about. Man, I told you, scatterbrain. But yeah, this there's kind of to bring it back out, like for people who are planning hunts and thinking about going places, don't let human boundaries affect your deer hunting. Right. Uh, in, in every sense of the word boundary, except for property lines, because you probably don't want to cross on a private property unless you have permission. <laughs> That's yeah, don't do that. <laughs> I think yeah, I, I find myself when I, when I think about this stuff, I find myself having to, we kind of default to the negatives, right? Like we, we say, yeah. okay, there's going to be too many people or, you know, that interstate's right there. So I don't want to hunt by that. We, we, we go negative a lot. But mm -hmm. the positive thing about whitetails is they're going to tell you where they are. They leave a lot of mm -hmm. sign. And mm -hmm. so, you know, your example of, you know, Tyler killing right by an interstate. I mean, I, I scouted a spot in Iowa. I didn't hunt it, but I scouted a spot right along the interstate where I'm positive you could have killed a big one 50 yards from that interstate. Like I, I found spots mm -hmm. where I was like, holy shit. Like they're, they're cruising right along this. They're crossing it. I found places where they were crossing it. And it's like, you would look at that and go, it, eh, that's probably not where I want to hunt or there's not going to be deer there. Then you walk in and they tell you, like they let you know. And it's mm -hmm. the same thing, like your, your, your anecdote about the parking lots and, you know, everybody, you know, it was get seven miles back in the back country for whitetails. It was get a mile or two back. Now it's like, you know, everybody's doing that. So you can kill one right by the parking lot. And it's like, yeah, there's a little from column A, a little from column B, but the reality is they're just going to show you. And I know mm -hmm. I've, I've had times in my life where I felt like I had to get back so far where you just, you're like, mm -hmm. they are pushed back a couple layers deep. 
And there's times where you're walking back there to those spots and you run across tons of sign right by the parking area. I mean, I've killed, Mm -hmm. I've killed a couple bucks in different States where I could see my truck, like two minute drags back there and you're on public land. You're like, this is stupid, but you just look and go, this is where they are. And so it's a matter, you know, people, people, when they're planning these hunts or they're like, "Ah, I'd like to go try that. You you get, you fall in love with these ideas of your e-scouting and, and e-scouting super important. Like I, I fully believe that, but it's like a foundation. And then you get there and you got to go, okay, well, I love this spot. I dropped a pin here. I love this spot. I dropped a pin here. Pay attention what you see on the way in and the way out and pay attention to whether you were right or wrong. Cause you get that stuff wrong all the time, but oh, yeah, somewhere in that process, if you have that kind of rough plan, but you're open to freelancing in a little bit, you're going to run across that concentration of signs somewhere. Even if you're in the big woods, eventually you're going to run across something. We, even if it's just one community scrape or whatever that speaks to you, it's out there. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's so freaking fun to show up where you don't know where that's going to be. And then when you find it and that place is just <laughs> humming, it's so cool. Yeah, absolutely, man. You know, something else that, uh, you talk about the walk in and that kind of stuff and finding stuff on the way in something else that people don't like to do, um, that can really benefit you when it comes to like actually going in and hunting is, uh, guys are down with the walk in far thing nowadays. Right. But a lot of times. I feel that people don't want to walk in through junk, like just terrible places to go get to that stuff. Like you, it's kind of like the scenic thing almost where it's like, well, I'll walk a mile in, but I kind of want to go, you know, through this Creek crossing and walk through some timber and get there. Whereas in Oklahoma, the best spot we found the other day, you had to walk through three quarters of a mile of grazed to two inches, just nasty, just across the, the hay meadow, right. To get to this spot. And, um, it's just not very scenic, right? It's not very enjoyable, especially when it's 35 and windy to just walk out across there and get blasted. And I think that, um, you have to decide what you want, right? If you want to go in and kill a deer, then you got to be willing to, to do that. If you want to have, um, a pretty walk in, then you don't do that, you know, but, but I think that's something else that kind of stems off of what you're talking about. It's like, uh, don't, um, you know, fall over the spot because the whole area looks great, man. You, you only need, like, you, you just need a buck to be in one spot to kill him, right? He need, he needs to be 20 yards from you one time. That's all, that's all you need. Like, you don't have to have this place that's just beautiful or whatever that you walk into, you know, right? Like, I'm hunting next to the interstate stuff, man, that drives me crazy. I only did it one time this year because I just couldn't handle that concept. And it's because that's not what I wanted out of the hunt, yep. right? Um, it also probably helped that I didn't see a booner in there that day, but if I did, I probably wouldn't have hunted there a lot, you know? (laughs) So, uh, it makes a big difference. And still, even on stuff, stuff like that, you can learn on the way in and figure out, Hey, this isn't where I need to be because you know what? On that same hunt, we went in, I already told you about putting that stalk on that deer that was a failed stalk, but realized you can glass from that position and then realized how much the deer were still using that bald, nasty hay meta early in the morning, right? There was like a grove of trees out there that, uh, I think they were soap berries. And in the summertime, the foliage is so thick that it blocks out the sun. Well, the winter, there was a ton of green grass growing up underneath there. And, you know, sometimes once it gets to December, it's dirt and green grass. That's all they got to eat, you know? And and there's these little, even just little food pockets that you don't even realize are there, you know? And it takes that observation stuff, that learning 
that you do on the fly out there to, to realize that stuff. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at urgentcarekit.com slash meat eater and use promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater at urgentcarekit.com slash meat eater. Hey, if you guys like to cook outdoors and you ought to, you should check out the Weber Slate Rust Resistant Griddle. Now, this, this is a good innovation here, and it solves a real problem, okay? So this is a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools, like a griddle on your grill. It's pre-seasoned with food-safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box. There's no use of coatings, okay? You can use metal tools to flip, press, and scrape without worry. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. Now, everything, the problem with griddles, everything rusts. No one talks about how bad everything rusts. Uh, the reason they don't is they couldn't fix it until now. Well, Weber's new rust-resistant technology, your Weber grill will last for years. When used, the carbon steel griddle hardens and bonds the surface, reducing the ability for moisture to collect and rust to form. With the new Weber Works Prep Cook and Store System, you can keep cooking and cleaning supplies handy, carry food and condiments from the kitchen to the griddle, and even convert the side table into a prep station. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle. We've been really conditioned to fall in love with the aesthetics of certain places. Mm -hmm. Turkey hunters do this all the time, right? Like if you if you public land turkey hunt a lot, that kind of dreamy pastured woods that you know with the cornfield in the corner, like that mm -hmm. that kind of place that would be so awesome to run and gun on private land that that place will be worthless on public land for turkeys and turkeys mm -hmm. figure it out and so when you mm -hmm. think about whitetails they just are where they are and a lot mm -hmm. of times it's not the nice places we want to hunt you know i i know a lot of states have uh you know state planet planted food plots or you know they'll, they'll lease out some ground and you know, it looks amazing, right? Like it looks like the kind of place if you showed up on a private chunk, you'd be like, I'm setting up on the edge of this. But yeah. when you get there on public, you just go, this is, this is just a place everybody's going to be. And you start, mm -hmm. you start figuring out that what I like to look at and what I'd kind of like to sit and hunt in is probably not where these deer are going to be. Cause we're all kind of wired to do that. 
And you get these moments when you do these kind of hunts where you figure out that those deer, even though, you know, like a prime example where I, where I've killed a bunch of bucks in South Dakota, there's ag mixed in there. It's a lot of walk-in area stuff. So it's, it's working ranches looks Mm -hmm. amazing. And you can, Mm -hmm. you can find good bucks on that stuff. But a lot of times I find those deer back in these meadows and back in these places on these benches where they're browsing. And I'm sure they're ending up on that egg at some point and starting there in the morning, mm-hmm. but where they're killable are the places that just don't look as deary, but mm-hmm. that's where they're at. And it's so consistent. And you, so you, you kind of have to reframe your thought process. If you're, if you're planning on going on a, an out of state whitetail trip and you've only ever hunted, you know, private land in your home state, permission based, whatever, you sort of have to go, okay, this is going to be a different thing. Probably like this is mm-hmm. the, where the deer are going to be in that state. I want to go to and how they're going to use the land is going to be somewhat different probably than what I'm used to. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. The same thing with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, trail cameras. If you, if you take a bunch of trail cameras with you on a trip and you've got five or six days, like that's probably not a great idea for most hunts because you're, you're working backwards on that and you, you need to be in the moment more. And so you have to mm-hmm. think like, okay, this, this trip that I'm planning, this is a different thing than what I do yeah. all year at home. And I think, I think people, until you really expose yourself to that, it's kind of hard to understand and hard to get into that different mode, but it's pretty necessary. Yeah. That's a, uh, that's a thing that outdoor TV has sold somewhat of the, well, we're going to show up and put the truck camera out and see, what, you know, <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, not to, to be rude to those guys or whatever, you know, a lot of those guys are pioneers, but that just isn't very um applicable for a five to seven day out of state hunt there are a few things one thing that we do uh in that specific situation you're talking about we use some moultrie cell cams right and and we'll uh find a piece of you know maybe state planted ag stuff or whatever on some public ground hang that camera on a obvious trail that you know it's going to be nighttime but you can somewhat plan if you if you're good at scouting you can say okay that buck was there at 10 p.m. I know which direction of travel he is. Let's go back and find that sucker and kill him a half mile from the camera, right? And uh, that's something I've seen. Another thing I've learned from you is um, I think, you know, when we first started talking about stuff, probably, you know, 2018, 2019, something like that, um, you're big on October and, and hunting deer then. And I think that when you start talking about going to public land and finding these places that look really good be like man every other guy's going to be in there well that is true but you can actually hunt at times when there's going to be a lot less people than others you know uh tyler planned his iowa hunt in 2019 kind of on the front and back end of the vacation type hunts you can then you know think about the same thing we go to um, South Dakota for October 1st archery opener and hardly ever see another person that's hunting whitetails because, you know, there's a, if you hunt private ground in South Dakota, you can start in September. And then after that, a lot of people are trying to hunt muleys anyways. And then everybody else is kind of wasting the run rut. You can go up there in October when there's hardly anybody around and sit on this, you know, picturesque spot and shoot a deer because, who wants to hunt deer on October 4th? You know, that's yeah. a, at least that's kind of the, uh, what it seems people have the opinion of. So I think that that's a, kind of a, a thing that you can also figure in if you're trying to hunt out of state, especially on the early, on the front end of that, um, you know, push for pressure in November. October is a pretty cool spot, especially if you want to go try something new 
um, you can still make it home or wherever your traditional rut hunting spot is. Go try October somewhere else, you know, especially if you're kind of from the South, you can go further North a little bit, get some cooler weather and see some pretty good deer movement. Yeah. <clears throat> well, you know, my thing with October came from growing up in a state with a super early gun season and just, mm -hmm. you know, not never so many years of my life. I never relied on the rut at all because it wasn't an mm -hmm. option. And mm -hmm. so I just hunted when I could, which was, I hunted every chance I could, let me put it this way for years and years and years. And you just realize like, okay, these guys are telling me middle October sucks, but I'm going out here mm -hmm. and I'm having fun hunts. Like what's going on? There's a disconnect here. And then when you, when you see there's trends in the hunting population and you see these things, we just eat, internalize so much. And I, I, I'm a contrarian. I'm like, I don't want to be. I don't want to be there when everybody else is there. I would rather mm -hmm. theoretically have harder hunting quote unquote in the middle of October and have fewer people to deal with than just show up during the rut. And I think a lot of people make a planning mistake around this. They go, mm -hmm. I got to be in Nebraska on September one. Cause I want a velvet buck. Well, yeah, you and mm -hmm. 73,000 other guys are thinking the same thing or, yeah. you know, that the rut is even more popular probably in most of these States. And you go, I got to be there on November 7th. That's the date. And listen, you can have amazing rut hunts on public land. You can, but you're, you're saying I'm, I'm going to play this in a way where I hope the deer are out of their minds and they're running everywhere. But I also know there's going to be more pressure in the woods with me, more competition than any other point of the season, except maybe opening weekend and then you've got mm -hmm. all this space between there <laughs> and mm -hmm. you go listen do i, I do i want to just try to work the deer or do i want to have to factor in like heavily factor in the pressure and for me mm -hmm. i'm like i i want to compete against the deer they're they're a hell of a lot easier to work with than you know when the parking lots start filling up and people are everywhere and this is a this is a message people like i, I think they don't believe it almost like, because mm -hmm. we've heard it so much, but go spend some time doing this. And I, and I say this, so a great way to plan your first hunt is pick a state like Oklahoma or some state that's going to be a, a, a target rich environment probably. And, mm -hmm. but you know, you maybe aren't necessarily going there dreaming a one sixties, right? You're like, I just want to go have mm -hmm. a good hunt, maybe kill a couple does, maybe run into a decent buck, whatever, maybe a pig, just go to have a fun hunt, do it in a time where you're like, I'm, I'm not going to feel guilty because I'm missing a rut hunt, right? Like I'm not going to feel mm -hmm. guilty because I should be here or there or wherever and go experience that, you know, like go, yeah. go spend that time, go camp for a few days and go hunt during those off times. When you have lower expectations, you have less into it than maybe waiting that three or four or five years for the Iowa tag and see what you can come up with. Cause you're going to have a hell mm -hmm. of a lot of fun. I bet. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing that Tyler and I talk about a lot is go hunt places that, um, you have to find sign as opposed to interpret sign. Like I can't imagine showing up to Iowa after waiting five years and just being like, what do I do? Cause there's that this isn't the truth, but it feels like there's a scrape and a rub almost every tree and a lot of that stuff. And you're like, Oh, I'll just put right here, you know? But if you go to some of these States and you, you learn a little bit more about traveling and hunting and interpreting sign and doing that, you'll be way more prepared for when you do draw that good tag. You know, like if you have to go and figure out how to kill a deer in say North Dakota, 
then whenever you do draw Iowa, you it's not your first time trying to figure out how to kill a deer on public ground, you know, and, and you've seen the difference in nighttime sign that's laid down and daytime sign that's laid down. And you've hunted, say, you know, if you're wanting to plan hunts and thinking about drawing a, a hunt like Iowa or something else, go hunt some hill country somewhere else, assuming, depending on what unit you're going to hunt, you know, but go practice in a state that's easier to draw or, you know, over the counter that's similar habitat and learn how the deer interact and act there, it's not going to be too different in Iowa or, you know, wherever you go. I hate to keep saying Iowa, but it's, it's just what's relative to me, right? Um, Like you'll, you'll know what to do there. You know, you'll know, oh, hey, they run the tops of the ridges whenever they're, you know, trying to smell does or whatever it might be, right? It's, it's all about, accumulating knowledge and the way you do that is experience i mean dude i would take (laughs) three days in the woods over a year's worth of reading forum comments you know (laughs) what i mean like it's it you can you can learn from both but it's (laughs) you know it's the difference in practice and playing you know what i mean it's it's just it's so much different well yeah and you know there's a there's a good point to acknowledge there too on so much of the hunting advice that's doled out from from everyone, everyone who does this is big bucks, big bucks, big bucks. Here's how you find big bucks. Here's how you kill big bucks. Here's how you set up. Here's how you call them. But when you start traveling and you go, I'm going to, I'm going to burn seven days of vacation. I'm going to go hunt this state. Cause I've always wanted to, and what you mm-hmm. realize is your first job, whether you kind of even acknowledge it or not, like it's intuitively, you know, I have to find a deer concentration first. Like I have to, Mm -hmm. I have to figure out, you know, I know I have a square mile or five square miles of land here. I got to find some pockets of, of deer, Mm -hmm. then start whittling it down. And we, we kind of go in and go, oh, that's, you know, that's night sign, or this is only where does live or whatever. But really when you start finding where deer concentrate, you're going to have one that you want to shoot there. And it's like, a, I mean, I know I said this earlier, but I, I'm always so surprised on, you know, I'll put in so much e-scouting time and sometimes just nail it. Like sometimes I'm like, holy crap, I did a good job here. But a lot of times I show up and I go, this is not, it, it's not what I expected. And mm-hmm. so you go, okay, well, I got to kind of go back to the drawing board. And I, I did this in Iowa uh, last year when I drew, I mean, I had freaking waypoints. I mean, I, I had put in a stupid amount of time. I had been down there turkey hunt and look around. And I got down there opening day and I just, I was kind of like, I don't really have a plan. Like I have, I have these spots. And so I hunted the first night and the next, and after that night, I was like, I got to go find deer. Like even all this work I've done, like, I still don't feel like I'm on a concentration. And so I sandbagged the morning and I went and hiked around and I found three spots where I was like, I'm on a concentration of deer and there's bucks here. And every one of them proved to be freaking awesome. But it was like, it was like kind of humbling, right? To be like, dude, you spent yep. so many hours e-scouting and so many hours thinking about this <laughs> and you still got it wrong and had to just get there on October 2nd or whenever it was and just walk around and go, okay, this trail's pounded, there's scrapes there, there's rubs there, there's obvious fresh sign. Now I have these three different little areas that I can start really, you know, diving into start observing, start figuring things out. And it's like, man, it just, the whole process has to be there. And we kind of like the idea of just, you know, getting some insider information or, you know, 
finding this pinch point on e-scouting and it's going to be good enough. It's like, no, all that could be great. Doesn't mean anything until you get out there and you really ground truth this stuff. Absolutely. There's a number of things that could be wrong. Like this last time, for instance, I went to Oklahoma. I've, I've been to Oklahoma twice this, uh, you know, mid to late November and then once in December and uh, got up there, had to rework my spots the first time because they weren't as good as I'd hoped because the ag was different than I expected it to be. Found something out, learned something on about day three and had to come home on day five, right? And had some good encounters with some bucks, just didn't uh, get to shoot one. Um, and then I'm like, okay, ready to go the next time I go up there. I know exactly the place to be. Go in there and there's 100 cows in the place all of a sudden. It's like, oh, oh gosh, you know, and you have to relearn all this stuff all over again. And being able to adapt and, and learn and change is super important. You cannot fall in love with a place like a specific spot because honestly, it's not that you love that and you think that it's a great place to kill a deer. It's that you're prideful and you think that you are smarter than the environment around you or however you want to phrase that. Right. And you got to put away the pride and just do what it takes to maybe find a deer and have to be able to look yourself in the eye or in the mirror and say, you know what? I got to scratch that whole last week of information that I got that I learned and start over. And that's the way it is. You know, you just have to be able to accept that kind of stuff. And it's hard for me to do that. It really is. I do my, um, I have a conviction to be as humble as I can, but at the same time, it's so hard to make yourself humble, right? Other things make you humble. You are humbled. You do not humble yourself. Right. Uh, so, uh, the more I hunt, I can see it happening a little bit. I'm not good at it yet, but being able to not waste days on a bad spot because you're telling yourself, oh, it's good. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Because, I mean, realistically, for guys, not a lot of guys can go to Kansas and spend nine days like I did this year. I realize that, you know, I'm blessed in that aspect. I'm just thankful for, for the opportunities, right? But, I mean, most guys take off um, Thursday and Friday and make a long weekend of it whenever they get to go on a hunt, you know, and, um, man, if you are in that boat and still, I feel this way on a nine day hunt, I have a morning that I feel like is completely wasted and I didn't learn anything. I'm just like down in the dumps about it, you know, because you're just, you, you, there's 12 hours of your life. You'll never get back on a hunt that might be 72 hours left. And you're like, golly, I, you know, I have to do the same thing over again tonight and try to put something together. And it just doesn't work out, you know, and I think that it's, it's huge, a huge thing for us to learn is that you need to just put any ego or whatever you have aside and just do what it takes to kill a deer. And it sounds so cliche, but it's not the, I'm going to work harder, be stronger, be faster, be a better shot, all that stuff. It's, it's the, Hey, I'm going to take what I'm given and do the best with it. You know, you approach it just a different direction. And I think that's, that's what helps kill deer, yeah. you know? Well, and you know, yeah. on that note, I mean, one of the things I preach about all the time that I, f- I firmly believe in is give yourself options. And so when you're, if mm-hmm. you're planning a hunt and you're like, I'm going here and I'm going to hunt this property, you better have a mm-hmm. backup. Even if that property mm-hmm. is 10,000 acres. I mean, I just, you know, using Oklahoma as an example, the only time the, the worst time of my life, as far as like this, this scenario I went down, my buddy and I drove down there and, you know, it was like 14 hours 
I did a mm-hmm. pile of research. I'm like, we are going to be covered in deer in this spot. It was different from the the area that I had gone to previously. We showed up camp. There was, pe- there were a lot of people there, but we had a lot of ground to work with. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find a freaking deer. I mean, I was like, <laughs> I, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm setting up to observe. I had hours and hours and hours of e-scouting into it. And I was, I mean, I literally couldn't see a deer. I finally saw a doe and two fawns the last morning where my buddy and I, the night before we're like, we're not on anything. Like we're, we're like not on anything, like no deer. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, maybe we got to pull the plug on this and go call an audible. And we ended up doing that. And just, we kind of realized that the area we hunted was probably not a great choice for us as far as like our strong suits, right? Like it just, mm-hmm. it was more of a, it almost felt more like a, a Texas hunt would be to me. Like if I showed up in Texas, like I'd have to reframe how I think about a lot of stuff. Cause it's just such different mm-hmm. habitat. And mm-hmm. this was kind of like that. I'm like, we need to go North. <laughs> we need to get closer to yeah. the kind of trees I'm used to. And we need to go just sort of reset. <laughs> and my flaw in that, that trip planning was I, I became so cocky. I was like, this is it. We don't, we have thousands of acres to work with. There's going to be tons of deer here. We don't need a backup. Mm-hmm. And we, we needed mm-hmm. a backup bad. And we ended up getting mm-hmm. lucky and picking a spot where we went to and had a great hunt and saved the last couple of days of our hunt. But mm-hmm. that was like a, like a cardinal rule for mine is like, don't go in with just a spot. Don't go in with just an idea that this is it. And when you plan these hunts, a lot of times we'll go, okay, well, there's a chunk of public on this side of the road and a chunk of public on that side of the road. So that's good enough. And I'm talking, maybe give yourself an entire quarter of a state. Like maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, if you show up and it is not working instead of just kind of like pushing a dead program, you might have to drive a couple hours to a new area and sort of reset. Mm -hmm. But like in, in the grand scheme of that kind of hunt and the investment you put in pulling up, repacking your tent and your camping gear, whatever, and moving three hours down the road, it's not that big of a deal. And it might change the entire course of your hunt. Oh, absolutely. And that's something that I've learned as well, man. And uh, I've learned it more from elk hunting than I have deer hunting, to tell you the truth. And I, you and I have talked about this before, but the things that you learn doing X hunt help you so much with a completely different type of hunt. It's crazy, right? And I won't go too far into that. But um, the driving you do and going to bed at midnight as opposed to getting your 830 like normally those three hours you lose, uh, or three and a half is so worth it sometimes, you know, and, and you know what, we can all function on four hours of sleep, uh, if one night and, and grabbing out in the day in the afternoon, you know, like it works. So you can, you can do it. If it makes, it gives you an opportunity to hunt good deer or hunt a good spot, then it's worth doing. And, uh, when it comes to hunt planning, that's kind of a huge thing too. Like, it's good to be able to go find states that allow you to hunt the whole state because then you have that option. Uh, one of the things that I actually dislike about Iowa is the zones. Yep. You know, you have, you have to stay within this certain union. It's pretty big, you know, and you know that before you go into it. Right. But like, um, I'm kind of, (laughs) I'm kind of a vagabond, right. Or whatever you want to call it. Like I like to just hit the road sometimes and go see something new and uh, having that option is really nice. And uh, if you do have that option, though, something I've found that really helps me is setting a deadline for that. So say I'm going to give myself three days here. If I am not on a good deer or if I'm not on a good uh, pattern or feel like something's going on, 
I'm going to pull the plug right then and forcing yourself to do it. Right now. Also, it takes some, a little bit of, uh, uh, I don't know what you would call it. It takes a, a little bit of gusto to tell yourself, Nope, I'm going to live and die here because I've seen this one deer or whatever. Like you have to, you have to have a certain, uh, constitution about you to be able to do that. Right. But it's good to have that, um, I guess, ticker in the back of your head. I work pretty good under pressure too. So it kind of helps me to have a ticker. Um, I noticed in Kansas, um, that when I had nine days, I killed on the eighth day. (laughs) And, you know, maybe if I only had four days, I would have killed on the third day. (laughs) You know, you know what I mean? So, um, I think it's, it's super helpful to scout that stuff. Um, you know, e-scout and then also think that I'm going to not only plan for a plan B, we're going to make sure plan B looks different than what plan A is, because just like you're saying, certain people have strong suits. Um, if you're not used to hunting big timber, heavy cover with a ton of acorns, acorns for <laughs> folks, right? uh, for us Yankees. You, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, like it could be tough because the deer only have to walk 50 yards to eat and hundred yards to drink. So um, if you're not used to that, but you want to go try it, Find you something else that's near wheat fields and cottonwoods or whatever it might be. That that's your backup, not a backup that's similar habitat, but just a different spot. Because really, that's no no difference in, in bouncing across the street, right? Because it's the same thing, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, <clears throat> and something on you know what you said about you know giving yourself a deadline and being like you know if three days and this sucks, I'm out. One of the things I think that people make a huge mistake on with hunt planning is going with too many people or the wrong people because that situation Mm, where if you get there and you're like you you personally you're like i don't like this and i'm ready to go if you have somebody you know the more people you have in camp the more people you have invested in that hunt the harder it is to just pull up stakes and move and it just i know that people don't like to hear this because we like to travel with our buddies but man if Mm -hmm. you can keep it small or go solo you will probably have a way better hunt and it's I know, it, I know it costs a little bit more and I, I know there's a difference, you know, safety aspect and stuff like that. But when you're, when you're operating on your own schedule or you've got like one trusted buddy, who's like going to do the work and is kind of on the same mm-hmm. wavelength as you, it's so much easier to have a good hunt, to enjoy yourself, oh. to, to, to make better decisions. And the more mm-hmm. you get random people involved or the more you get people who aren't, they have different <laughs> objectives, different work ethics it's Mm -hmm. it sucks man yeah it does and then a lot of times uh when you have those people involved that maybe hunt differently or have a different work ethic or yada yada um you end up hunting close to each other because you have one or two vehicles and then um it can cause a little uh split in the friendship or whatever you want to call it because you just have different expectations of what the other is going to do whereas i we did this in South Dakota, right? I mean, no, no lost friendships at all, but we, we had six guys in camp, three vehicles. So there was always a pair going out. Um, and some of those guys were running camera and this and that, but a lot of us ended up hunting near each other because of drop-offs in that situation. Um, one guy has astigmatism, can't see in the evening at all. Like he, 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 and he is going to usually get down out of his tree before, <laughs> uh, most of us would, and no fault of his own. I don't even think he can tell like when actual, <laughs> you know, into shooting light is, you know what I mean? And, and so we had to learn to kind of work around that. And then 
uh, you know, just different hunting styles and that's that sort of thing. One of the things that I find invaluable is just having your own vehicle, you know, just be able to be your man on the island, you know, Darrell Riva style, you know, just out there doing your thing, making your own decisions, living, living and by, dying by what you do. That way you don't have anybody to be upset with except yourself. You know, you can have six guys in camp, but having six vehicles and everybody able to go one direction, it's not very green friendly, right? I mean, yeah. I guess you could drop Teslas and make it work and be fine, but, <laughs> but you know, uh, just being able to go and, and make your own choices. I think that's, a, that's a huge thing, man. And that's why Tyler and I love hunting together so much now. It's because, um, we've definitely changed somewhat to, uh, mold ourselves to one another as far as hunting partners go, but we work so well together now because it's that situation where we've hunted together enough that, um, instead of getting each other's way, we can't go to different states without calling each other twice a day to convey information just yep. because we trust each other so much to make good choices. And, and we just play shoot holes in the boat every time we talk, you know, just like what can be wrong with this spot? What can we do different? What, what can be done different? And when you find that person you can trust that much, man, you talk about being able to kill some deer, you know, because it's like you have, uh, the cumulative experiences of two experienced hunters working together at once without, um, pride getting in the way without, um, another guy who thinks similarly to you can circumvent your pride way faster than you ever thought, you know, like, Oh man, I figured this fight out. It's good. And he's like, um, are you sure you can hunt that on Southwest wind? You're like, Oh, what a dummy. I'm so yeah. stupid. You know, like, Having that person is pretty huge for my success, at least. I know some people, um, you know, the whole lone wolf thing's the way to go, you know, because they, they like that, and that's fine too. But I, I really do find value in that one good solid hunting partner, you know. Yeah. It's, a, it's a difference maker. And, you know, something you, you kind of alluded to this, you know, something that happens when you go do a trip like this is you find out you know, like how greedy you are for whitetails, how greedy your buddies are. <laughs> and it, it can change the dynamic if you're not working together. And it's, I mean, it's a, it's a little dance, man. But I, I remember there were four of us, we hunted South Dakota, I don't know, 2017, maybe somewhere around there. And we, we got there, did some scouting, uh, and the, the night before the season opened, a couple of us were driving back to camp and we saw two good bucks on public land right off the road going through this one field and it was like pin drop quiet in the truck because everybody wanted to go after him like everybody's <laughs> like i want to hunt that deer tomorrow or those deer tomorrow yeah. and finally my buddy eric said something like well I, I would go in and you know like he broke the ice right and we're like well, okay well i guess go in there and he went in there and killed that buck but right away when we saw him, everybody thought the same thing. Like, I want to kill that 10 pointer, like everybody. And it, you know, like now you're like, shit, like, how do I play this? And mm -hmm. you know, it worked out for him, but later in that hunt, one of the guys there, so we had one, one chunk of public that had a nice bean field you could hunt and the deer were using it. It was, it was mm -hmm. good. And so, but it's an evening thing, right? Like if you walk in there in the morning, it's no bueno, and so we yeah. were kind of hunting different stuff in the mornings and then trying to kind of gang hunt this, this particular property in the evening. Well, I went out like third, fourth morning of the hunt, shot a buck. And when I went out to look for my arrow, um, I see this dude driving back from that ranch and I'm like, man, he went, 
over there and tried to spot and stalk one in there. Didn't tell anybody, you know what I mean? Mm, and so yeah. we were, we were all kind of playing by the same rules. Like let's save that. Cause of how good it's going to be. This guy just thought he was going to get away with it. And it, he would have, if I hadn't just randomly shot a buck and been able to see the road from where I got out and <laughs> that shit happens, man. And you know, it's like yeah. deer, you know, that, that non-resident license price and that trip away from home and, and big deer, they do stuff to us. That's not good. And you, you really learn mm -hmm. if you do this enough, like who you can trust and who you can't and who, who you're really going to have a good hunt with. And I think that's part of the reason why some people do function better on a solo trip. Like, it's like, that's on you, man. Like you find a big one, go after it. You, you make these decisions and that, and you kind of got to learn about yourself and your buddies that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, for us, there's a lot of things that help us to navigate around that. Um, one of the big ones though, is that, you know, just to be frank, you know, we're trying to do this somewhat as a business, right. And not even somewhat, you know, we're trying to build a lifestyle and build a business around something we love doing. And, um, it's, uh, micro communism as much as it pains me to say it, right. <laughs> but it's like, uh, if Tyler kills deer, it's great for me too. You know, like we're just all trying to have success and it's not just because of the business, right. But you, you just want them to succeed too. It helps a bunch, right. If, and I, I can imagine being one of these guys that, um, it's like, Hey, I'm, uh, you know, I'm thinking about drawing Iowa this year on, on the forum, you know, it's like anybody, who else is going to draw this? You know, let's, let's team up and go. It's like, you know, that's, that's very nice of you, but dude, like it's been a lot of trust in somebody you don't know very good, you know? Uh, and like, once you build a hardcore friendship with somebody, it's like, yeah, dude, you go kill that buck. Let's go pack that thing out and take some pictures together, you know? And, yep. and I think that, um, uh, it's definitely not a keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. It's definitely only keep your friends real close when it comes to <laughs> the, going on a hunt like this for me, at least. Right. Like, um, it's, you just want to, if you're going to do this with somebody, you want to do it with somebody that you care enough about that it would be cool to see them kill a big deer too. Yeah, big and then and it all boils back to just setting your pride aside, man. It's, it's so hard, um, for every human to do this. So then you take a bunch of guys who fancy themselves as alphas who like to kill stuff, you know, and, and like, it's real hard to put pride aside, you know? And, um, the, I, I, I truly believe that that uh the thing that will help you do that over about near anything that you know humans can at least do is that you you have to have compassion and care about the people you're with otherwise you're going to be making prideful decisions you're going to be making selfish decisions and that's it's pretty hard, hard to get around big time man i know you got a you got a hard out here so we got to we got to wrap this sucker up uh casey where can everybody find uh the videos the podcast all that stuff yeah cool man thanks for the opportunity to to talk about that stuff um so the Element YouTube channel, search The Element Hunting or just Public Land Hunting will we'll pop up pretty quick, I think. Um, but um, actually, uh, Tyler and I's Kansas Bucks just released in the, the past couple weeks. Uh, and uh, so if if I can, I'd love to tell you all to go check out those hunts because they were really fun and mean a lot to him and I both. Uh, I killed uh, the biggest public land deer that either of us have shot. And then two days later, Tyler blew it out of the water with his. So. <laughs> we had we were so blessed this year man and uh it was it was really really cool so i'd appreciate that and then of course um our socials are at the element wild because um 
if you just search the element on social, you'll come up with a skater brand or something like that. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what we got going on. So, you know, thanks for the opportunity for that. And the podcast is the element podcast. So, um, yeah, search all that stuff on all the platforms that you know of and we'll pop up. Awesome. But, yeah. Thanks, brother. I really yeah. appreciate it, man. Absolutely, dude. I hope you uh, are excited. Are you uh, done killing pheasants or you still got pheasants going right now? Pretty much, pretty much done, man. But, uh, you know, there's still a few states that are open, so there's, there's yeah. still a chance. It was a good year. All right. It was a good year. <laughs> good deal, man. So. That's awesome. We still have a few more deer, deer, deer to kill, hopefully. So, uh, we'll wrap it out strong, man. So thanks for the opportunity, Tony. It's real good talking to you, dude. Yeah, thanks, buddy. That's it for this week, folks. Be sure to tune in next week if you want some more white-taily goodness. This has been Wired to Hunt, and I'm your guest host, Tony Peterson. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you're looking for more whitetail content, head on over to themeateater.com slash wired, and you'll see a pile of new articles by Mark, myself, and a bunch of whitetail addicts. Head on over to our YouTube channel. Check out our, our how-to videos that we put up every week. Or if you're, if you're feeling sad and you're missing the rut, head on over to Meat Eater's YouTube channel and check out our One Week in November series that we dropped all of November and December. Hey, if you guys like to cook outdoors and you ought to, you should check out the Weber Slate Rust-Resistant Griddle. So this is a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools. It's pre-seasoned with food-safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. This griddle heats evenly edge to edge, reaching all the way up to 500 degrees. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.